Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Yeah, we uh, always want to take time to thank God. So what I came up with is uh, my unconventional gratitude list. You know, sometimes we're thankful for the big things. Yeah, I got a car, you know, I got a house. So what I decided to do today is to give you my top six unconventional gratitude list. Would you like to know what's on the top of my list? Number one, toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just imagine what it'd be like without it. Well, I think we had 2019, so we, we came to that. Or it might be like one of my first trips to India. There was no toilet paper as I went out to the little outhouse. It was a bowl of finger water that they gave me. You follow that to the rest of that. And my number two unconditional gratitude list is toothpaste. I mean, think about it. By the time our founding fathers, uh, Jefferson, Washington, Adams, and Franklin were in their 70s, uh, they were all nearly totally toothless, thankful for toothpaste. Number three is deodorant and perfume. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You smell those unpleasantness of uh, people that smell, and uh, you just don't like to do life that way, do you? But number four comes in soap. Because, you know, deodorant and perfume and cologne will only go so far to remove the stench. I'm grateful for soap and all of its many varieties. You ever thought about that? All the different varieties. You can use the bar. You can push the thing. You can do this. You can do that. Something else, you know. So many different varieties. And number five, my unconventional list is I'm thankful for saliva. Spit. I mean, it's nice when you eat crackers, right? Comes in handy when you need to expel something bad tasting in your mouth. Prevents cavities. Uh, it's convenient when you need to, uh, to get that thread through a needle. I've done that. Or you have that unruly hair strand that keeps moving. You know how it is. You, you fix that, right? And it always comes in handy in kissing also, all right? Number six, moving along quickly. Number six, indoor toilets. You ever been shocked and had your full attention come to you when you sat down on a cold toilet seat? Imagine what it would be like if it wasn't a cold toilet seat, but it'd be a cold toilet. Some of us remember because we were that far out in the country. In the middle of the winter, you made a pathway to the little outhouse, and there was no heater there. It was cold and shiver, and most people became constipated through the winter. I am thankful for indoor toilets. How about you? And I'm thankful for Christmas. I love Christmas. Next week, we start a brand new Christmas series. And uh, I gave you, two weeks ago, the little six packs that have six invite cards in the little pack. And our ushers are going to come because I know you probably already gave those out. And in that bucket, there'll be some more uh, loose ones. Just reach in, grab a handful. If you didn't get a six pack to hold it, uh, be sure to stop outside and you can get one of those. But use these because next week we start... This Christmas at the movies, we're going to take some, go ahead and pass those, yeah, we're going to take the, uh, we're going to take some classic movies uh, and uh, Miracle on 34th Street next week, and we're going to pull out biblical principles from that that's going to help us. In every service, 
Some of you will fill out a connection card for the very first time because in every service, we're going to give away two AMC movie tickets. We'll draw those tickets in our staff meeting on Monday. You'll be able to do those. We're going to have uh, popcorn, I think hot chocolate, coffee, and uh, we'll show some of the video clips. It's going to be a great time. But not only that, but next Sunday, we have our jingle jam, and it's outside. It's going to be wonderful, and I'm so excited. We have, I think it's six tons of ice that's going to be delivered, and we have... Uh, we, have the, we have Lake County's only ice slide for Christmas. So you're going to walk up this thing about 12 feet tall, get on a tube or a blanket, and whoosh, down through there. I mean, we spare nothing to give you the best so that you can invite your friends to Jingle Jam, and you bring them to church on that Sunday, and it's going to be wonderful. We've got the Kona ice truck, so many other things, and then every week we're going to do that, and then Christmas Eve we have our service. So invite somebody. Invite somebody. What would it be like if you invited somebody to come to church or you brought them to church and their eternities were changed? And you got to hang out through all eternity with them. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome? So awesome. So do that. Be a bringer. Would you do that? Father, we love you. Thank you. Oh, man, we thank you for our worship team that led us into your presence today. We're so thankful. Lord, I pray today that you will help us as a church to be bringers, not to neglect inviting people. Use these cards as a bridge builder. Uh, and it's just a, f- a fun little time that we're going to have of looking at some of these movies, but yet there's going to be such strong biblical principles that come through. You used um, parables, Lord, and little stories, and so we're going to use some movie clips. And Lord, I pray you'd bring the people. Help us to make a difference in people's lives. And today, Lord, I pray you would anoint me. Holy Spirit, I know the anointing is here. I ask you to help me to say what you want me to say. Don't let me say the things that I wouldn't say. Bring things into my mind that I haven't even thought about. And would you let us all receive a revelation today in the name of Jesus. I wonder how different our world would be and how we could change the lives of people that are around us if we would purposely cultivate a lifestyle of thankfulness, of thankfulness. Don't you like to be around people who are thankful? And, and don't people who uh, are not thankful and you never do enough of them, aren't they just, they just drain the life out of you? I mean, think about this. When we see all that God has done for us, how can we not have a gratitude of thankfulness, right? I mean, some of us had cancer. The prognosis wasn't good, and the Lord healed. The Lord brought us through. Some of you, your marriage is about to be destroyed. You're about to lose everything, and the Lord restored your marriage. Some of you, your kids were running away, and God brought your kids. Some of you were so down into addiction, and there was no hope. Everybody gave up on you, but the Lord came along and lifted you up. And some of you were raised in good families and in good churches, and the Lord has kept you all of these years. Man, we are thankful to the Lord. And when we're thankful to Him, then we also want to acknowledge that by worship. Him. Our uh, theological ancestors wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the first catechism question they ask is this one on the screen. What is the chief end of man? Would you read the answer with me? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's say it again. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To 
glorify God. You know, that's, that's expressing my love and my thankfulness to him. We could also say that's worship, right? That's worship. It's not, don't make worship complicated. Well, you know, I, I'm just not a worshiper. Sure you are. I mean, some of you worship football. You get excited. You're thankful that your team won, your team lost. You know, you're not thankful your team lost, but you're thankful the other team lost, right? Uh, you have that. So we're all worshipers. We worship something, but how much more should we take time to be sure that we worship God every day of our life? If that resonates with you, would you give a praise God? Yeah, amen. When I came in this morning early, the praise and worship team were preparing to lead us in the presence of the Lord. And I came in because I go through my teaching, make sure all the scriptures are right and everything for you uh, because I'm known to get off on a rabbit trail so they keep me straight with what's up there so we finish on time. They have a countdown clock, so I'm on time, all right? So it's good. And uh, so as I walked in this morning, the worship team was singing that last song and the atmosphere, ever walked in a place where you could just sense the atmosphere? You know, some of you walk into a honky-tonk or you've walked into a bar and you can sense that atmosphere. I mean, lust just jumps all over you. You know, addiction just jumps all over you. You feel the atmosphere. I'll never forget when I got off the plane in Seoul, Korea, South Korea. Heard a lot about the prayer aspect there. But literally, when I got off the plane, back then we stepped down the little jetway. There was no jetway. Step down the steps. And I remember pausing at the bottom of that, and I just felt like the Lord said to me, do you feel the atmosphere? Because you see, when you go in to have lunch there, it doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal or non-Pentecostal. When it's time to ask the blessing over the food in a five-star restaurant, you'll find a businessman or a businesswoman stand up with a loud voice, pray a prayer of thanksgiving for God's mercy and grace. And I'm going to tell you, atmosphere of worship and giving God thanks changes the atmosphere, changes the atmosphere. So when I walked in here this morning, they were so in tune with the Spirit, it just changed my attitude. Tim made the comment and said, don't that make you just want to preach now? I said, no, it makes me want to lie down on the floor and just listen to God for a while. He said, yeah, you're right. That's, that's what it is. But I would, I would say, how can we do that? How can we create an atmosphere in this house that when an unbeliever or someone who knows nothing about church could come in and they could just sense that love and that atmosphere? And so the Lord directed me to Luke chapter 17. If you want to turn there, I'm going to look at a lot of scriptures this week. Is it all right to look at a lot of scriptures? But in this passage, I really think that the Lord gives us a prescription or the steps or a pathway or progression uh, for an atmosphere of worship. Let's start reading in uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And here it is. Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, Jesus, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. Say lepers. And they stood afar off. We'll talk about that in a minute. And as they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, it's interesting, it doesn't say when he heard them. That uh, just sort of jumped up to me. I have to think about that. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. Underline that phrase, go show. Go show. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went. Underline that. As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice, what did he do? 
he glorified God. He worshiped God. He fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, he was the only one that wasn't a Jew. Where were the others? Well, I guess they thought that healing was something that was theirs. And they deserved it. Wow. But he came, and Jesus said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who return? Look at that, what to do, what to do, what? Give glory to God, except this foreigner. And then he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you what? Well. See that word well? That's the word sozo, which doesn't mean physically healed, but it means emotionally and spiritually healed. It's the same verse that talks about in Romans that when we give our heart to the Lord, he makes us whole. So this man not only had a physical healing, but he also had a spiritual healing when he came as he was going in obedience. So when I look at that and I say, okay, he worshiped the Lord. The Lord was pleased with that, wanted to know why the others weren't there. And so I'm thinking, okay, what do I need to learn about this, how to create an atmosphere of worship? I have one point today in the teaching, and here it is, if you want to take notes, if you're filling in note in the page, understand what produces an atmosphere of worship. So I'm saying, okay, God, we want to create an atmosphere of worship in this house. We want to create an atmosphere of worship in our life so that we can walk into a place and we can change the atmosphere in that place. Anita always says to people, uh, you know, are you going to be the thermostat or are you going to be the thermometer? A lot of people walk in as the thermometer and whatever atmosphere is there, it's there. But God called us to be thermostats, to come in in an attitude of worship and we can change the atmosphere that's there. So I'm saying, Lord, show me how to create that in my life and show me how to create that in the church. Well, I think in this passage, we can see what produces an atmosphere of worship. Here it is, gratitude. Gratitude produces worship. Would you say that with me? Gratitude produces worship. Come on, online church, would you say that with me? I want to see you there. I'm watching. Just say, yep, gratitude produces an atmosphere of worship. Look at 15, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed... He returned with a loud voice, glorified God. With what kind of voice? A loud voice. People say, this church is too loud. Well, that's okay. We can recommend recommend another place that's quiet for you, okay? It's going to be noisy in heaven, so you might as well get used to it, okay? And then he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, he was the least likely to be able to do that. So the question was, did he approach Jesus in the appropriate way? Did he respond to Jesus in the appropriate way? Well, there are 11 Hebrew words in the Old Testament that's translated praise or worship. Seven of them are more more dominant, and here they are. The first one is the word tada, which means a choir of worshipers, or it means thanks and giving. Barak means to kneel in thanksgiving. Tehillah means sing a song of thanksgiving. I know some of you just woke up. What did he say about tequila? No, I didn't say tequila. Now you may sing after you have some tequila, but this is tequila, all right? It's to sing a song of thanksgiving. Halal, 
to give thanks by being clamorously foolish, jump and dance like that, like that. Uh, that that's, the, that's the word. It's also the word that we get hallelujah from. Hala means praise, and then Yah, Yahweh, the Lord, to give praise to Him. Yada means giving thanks by lifting or extending the hands. Zamar means to give thanks with a musical instrument. Aren't you thankful for our musicians? Wow. And Shabbat, I like this one, means to give thanks with a loud voice. Let's give the Lord a Shabbat, shall we? All right. Now look at that. Shout, extend your hands, kneel, sing. Those are all ways that we can respond with a grateful heart to God in worship. In fact, Psalm chapter 100 verse 4 has four of those in one verse. Look at this. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's the word tada, a thanksgiving choir. Go into his courts with praise. That's Tehillah, sing praises. Give thanks to him. That's the word yada, extend your hands. And praise his name as Barak, means bow down before him. Now let me give you a TFH paraphrase of that. Read it with me, in fact. Enter his gates with a thanksgiving choir and into his courts with singing praises. Be thankful by extending your hands to him and bless him by bowing before his name. Awesome. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, but I have such a tough time of raising my hands. I got to hear once. Uh, I got a little more there once. One hand, I got up, you know, and uh, man, I just don't know about all those physical things. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just so hard. Listen, I'm not trying to get you all to be like the worship team. I'm not trying to get you to bounce on every song. I'm not trying to do you. I'm just trying to get us to open our mouth sometimes, all right, unto uh, the Lord. And, and so it's, it's because it's not that. It's not I'm trying to make you do something. But I want us to look at the biblical way in which they responded to the Lord. Some people say, well, I just have such a tough time. You know why I believe not always. I think there's exceptions. Uh, why I believe that some people have a tough time of responding to God in a verbal, expressive way. Because I think a lot of us came from dysfunctional families. A dysfunctional family in, in which that you never felt like you quite measured up. You would do something and say, yeah, that's good, but you should have done it this way. Or maybe a father or a mother that never hugged you, that never told you that they loved you. I don't believe, my dad was a great dad, but I don't believe I ever heard my dad say to me, son, I love you, until I was a grown man. I don't believe, I, I, I had a friend once come from the south up, we were Yankees, okay, and, uh, and, and came in and they started to hug my parents. And my parents just stood there, and they said, and this person said, oh, I forgot, I guess, that Yankees don't hug, but we hug in the South. I know that's a big generalization. But what I'm saying is, the reason some of us have a tough time of responding to God in very vocal ways is because we came from a dysfunctional family. But if you're a believer, you're no longer in a dysfunctional family. Your father is not dysfunctional. And guess what? When the blood of Jesus Christ 
covered your sins. Maggie reminded me of this a little while ago. When the blood of Jesus Christ covered your sins, he took out the old DNA and he put in a new DNA and you can't say anymore, well, it's hard for me to worship because I was raised that way. Heck no! You got a new DNA and it is, I'm going to express God in any way that he wants me to worship him. So, we look at this and we say, what produces worship? Gratitude produces worship. Well, then what produces gratitude? We're just sort of going backwards today in this. Miracles produce gratitude. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Now, we start off with 10 little Indians. No, 10 lepers, right? I was on the wrong song there for a moment. Ten, ten lepers. And they all yelling out to Jesus because they heard that Jesus heals. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, okay, go show yourself to the priest. Now, they weren't immediately healed. It was as they went. And as they went, one of them saw that, wow, it's different. Now, we read that as Americans or Westerns in we, Western, the Western world, and we, that doesn't mean much to us. Leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin in our life. I don't know if you've ever been around in some countries where they have lepers. I was in India years ago, and uh, I went to a, a leper's colony church. Um, and when we got in there, it was a little tent it's probably about 75 or 100 people. No chairs. They were sitting on the floor. I could look around and I could see and I could remember the smell. Leprosy has a horrible, horrible smell. It's of rotting flesh. If you've ever smelled flesh rotting or flesh burn, you can understand that. I can still remember that putrid smell as I went in. Fingers were gone because of leprosy toes, the legs, others was uh, disfigured. Many people wore a veil because the nose had already been eroded away. What happens with leprosy? Leprosy is an external thing, but leprosy is really an internal sickness. Many times leprosy would start and people wouldn't know they had leprosy until it was too late. And they already, what, what happened is the nerve endings would dissolve. And so what would happen is that you would damage yourself and hurt yourself, but you wouldn't recognize it because you didn't feel any feelings. Now, years ago, before they found answers for leprosy, what would happen in these poor countries and with these lepers is that because of the leprosy, uh, an issue would happen and there would be a sore and then when they would sleep at night, true thing, don't want to gross you out, but the rats would come and they would begin to gnaw away at the flesh. And as they would do that, they would bring other sickness and disease. So these men, you see, the thing about leprosy is that there was no hope. There was no cure back in Jesus' time for leprosy. It started on the inside, but it showed itself on the outside. Isn't that what sin is like? Sin starts on here, and eventually, if it's not taken care of, you don't catch it, it's going to show up in the result of your life. So here are these men. And not only that, but there was the emotional aspect of that. That if you were married and you got contracted leprosy, you could never go back to your house. 
You could never kiss your wife again. You could never hold your kids. You, you could never be with them. And, and you were alone. You were alone with the lepers. Everybody was just like you. The smell, the stench, the, the distance. And, and you were, by law, required to distance yourself from everybody else because of the sickness that you had. In fact, when somebody would start walking in, even as far away as the door of the church on the outside, you were required, by law, you were required to yell as loud as you can, unclean! unclean I'm a leper I'm unclean don't get near me you see some of you experienced that in your life that's why you keep pushing people away because of sin that's in your life you say to people you don't want to get to know me because if you really knew me as I really am you wouldn't really like me so let me put on nice clothes so you can see my clothes so that you can see but eventually that sin will erode itself away even beyond your clothes and here are these lepers and there's no hope there's no chance there's no way for them to change Say, oh, wow, that's a, that'd be a horrible thing. Horrible? Yeah. But do you remember when you were there? Remember when you were steeped in sin and there was no hope for you? Remember that? People have given up on you? They'll never change. They're gone so far away. But one day a man by the name of Jesus came by. And you cried out to him. And boy, what, that, what did that song? Grace rewrote my story. What a line in a song. Jennifer, you need to write a song that would have that title. Grace rewrote my story. Wow. Don't you love our worship team? Give the Lord a hand clap for our team. Why was he loud? Why was he loud? Because he'd been loud all of his life, yelling unclean. And that's probably the only level that, that he even knew. As I said in the leper's colony, a leper's church, I've heard a lot of great choirs, but I've never heard anybody sing with such passion as those 75 to 100 lepers because they knew there was no hope for them. I was, uh, I was sitting on the floor as close as for me to you, Alexa, and uh, Lexus, and uh, so I could see the girl. Her fingers had fallen off. She had sandals, but I could see that her toes had fallen off, and she had a veil over her face. Her lips were distorted. Her nose was gone. I could see that through the veil. But when they started singing songs about Jesus, they would take the stubs of their hands, and they'd beat those stubs and they'd sing a song because they knew that in this world where they were at that time, years ago, there was no hope for them, but there was hope that one day they would have the fingers, they would have the toes, they would be able to walk, they wouldn't have the stench anymore, they could walk, and you see, that caused them to realize their only hope was in Jesus, and they worshiped him like never before. So miracles produce gratitude, but what produces miracles? Obedience produces miracles. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Not while they stood there, but as they, were, as they went, they were cleansed. Remember, Moses came up the Red Sea, the enemy behind him, the sea in front of him. What did God say? Lift up the rod. Excuse me, God, couldn't you just take care of the army? No, I want you to be obedient, and if you're obedient, I will produce a miracle, and that miracle will produce gratitude, and that gratitude will produce a worshiping heart that will change your life. And so here comes Joshua to the promised land. Jordan is at flood stage. 
And God says, put your foot in the water. Excuse me, sir. Could we rewind to the, to the Red Sea? There, we just had to hold up a rod. You're asking me that Jordan is at high level. You're asking me to step in. It's the obedience that produces the miracle. When God speaks, we obey. Then there's a miracle, and we're grateful, and we worship him. Now, just to study this passage, people jump into this passage, and they, they don't take it in context. How you always understand a passage is that you read the verses before and you read the verses afterwards. So let's rewind back to chapter 17, verse 1, and let's see all of this in context and see what we can learn about obedience that produces a miracle, that produces gratitude, that produces what? Worship. Chapter 17, and he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. In other words, you're going to have an offense. Somebody's going to hurt you. And the Lord says, I put a woe on them. He's talking to Christians. And he said, I put a woe on them if they're the one that causes an offense. But then he goes on to say, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. I can imagine the disciples standing there saying, oh, okay, we got it. Yeah. So if somebody, if somebody sins against me and they say, forgive me. Yeah, we got that, Lord. And Jesus says, I'm not through yet. I haven't finished my story. And then he goes on and he says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns and says, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Underline that. You shall forgive him. He said, it's a command. You shall forgive him. Not you might forgive him if he does it right. You shall forgive him. In another passage, he says, we pray in the Lord's prayer, right? And he said, you know, we forgive as we have been forgiven. So he says, if seven times in a day he returned the same day, you are to forgive him. Then the apostle said, uh, you're going to have to increase our faith. Don't take this out of context. People pull this out and try to use it for someone else. Jesus has just said, I'm going to tell you, I want you to be obedient. And here's how I want you to be obedient. If somebody sins against you seven times in the same day, I want you to forgive them. And the disciples said, we're going to need some more faith. That's more faith than what we've got. But Jesus goes on and say, no, you don't need more faith. It's not about faith, but it's about obedience. Look at this passage. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, planted in the sea, and it'll obey. And which of you, and in context, he doesn't separate that. So don't take seven out of that. He says, remember, he's saying, you don't need more faith. You just need to obey your master. You see, sometimes we forget that he's not only our savior, our healer, our soon coming king. He's our Lord. He's my master. And when my master, you see, some of us don't understand the difference between serving and being a servant. Say we want everybody to be a servant. You know, we're, we're supposed to serve. Yeah, but you see, a server still is in control. You control where you're going to serve, how much you're going to serve, what you're going to serve. But a slave, no, has no rights, has no rights. That's a part of Christianity we don't often look at. 
If he's my Lord, and I said, Lord, I give my heart to you, everything I have is yours, he can do with me whatever he wants to. He can mop the floor with me if we want. And we say, Lord, it's so unfair what I'm going through. No, he's my Lord, in the midst of wherever I am, I'm going to remember in obedience to do what he told me to do. So he says to them, no, you don't need more faith. How many of you, if you have a servant, and your servant comes in, verse 7, you will say to him, oh, you had a tough day. Here, sit down and eat with me. He said, no, you won't say that. But you will rather say, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself up and serve me. But that's, that's who you are. You're a servant. And then after I've eaten and I've drunk, he says, you don't think you're, thank your servant because they did these things you commanded them. So likewise, you, when you've done all these things which you're commanded, say we're unprofitable servants we do what is our duty to do in other words he's saying look look it all starts with obedience if you want a miracle it starts with obedience he said it's well lord i need more faith i need more faith to start to tithe no you don't you just need to be obedient lord i need more faith to forgive this person no you don't you just need to be obedient there are some things that he said he says lift your hands and shout unto the lord well lord when i feel like it no it's obedience that when i come into an atmosphere where he is i am obeying him and obedient to him and not expect do you see that, Lord? I got one hand halfway up. Don't take this passage out of context. He said, in the same way when you obey me, the same way when you obey me. In our text, he said, servants are expected to obey commands. In context, Jesus is demonstrating what happens when you obey and then experience a miracle. Could it be that the reason that some of you are carrying unforgiveness around in your heart is that you haven't been obedient to what the Lord said? Forgive. Well, I came from a dysfunctional family. I had a husband that abused me, had a wife that left me, had an affair. I had children that did this. I had parents that kicked me out. I know it's, I've heard the stories of teenagers. My parents don't want me. I'm living on my own. I'm isolated. I'm lonely. And then we deal, they deal with unforgiveness. But he never said forgive when you feel like it. He said, you're my servant. And I command you to forgive. I command you to do these various things. Maybe you're mad at him today because things haven't turned out the way that you wanted them to turn out. But the end of the story is not yet. Imagine. Imagine you're a, you're a leper. No hope. You're ostracized. You're all alone. There's nobody around. And one day you're walking and you see Jesus and you hear all the stories that Jesus can heal leprosy. Jesus can heal this. Jesus can do that. And you cry out to Jesus and you say, Lord, Jesus, heal me, heal me. Lord, uh, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. And he says, okay, go your way. You're, you're going to be all right. And all of a sudden as you walk away, man, fingers pop out, toes pop out. Your face comes in a line. That putrid smell that you've been living with for so long 
<laughs> it goes away, and you're, and you're allowed back into society. You're, you're able to get back and find your wife, and you're able to, to love her. You're able to, to see your kids. You're able to hold them, maybe, maybe hold your grandkids for the very first time. And not now you don't live in a shack out back, but you have one of the nicest houses in town. In fact, you not only have houses in town, but you have a condo over by the beach. And now there's enough, you have a cabin up in the mountains. And now you not only have a, a chariot, now you've got like two chariots. And you, and you got some snowmobiles for when you go to the mountains and you got all that. And, and you got nice clothes. You no longer shop at Salvation Army. Now you go to Dillard's or you go to Macy's or you go to Walmart. Or, or, or Nobody should go to Walmart. But anyway, <laughs> unless you go at late at night, that's the only time I'll go. I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to offend somebody. That's all right. Get over it. Get over it. But now here you are. But it's been 20 years since you were healed of leprosy. And so you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden you see Jesus coming. Is he still worthy of you with a loud voice, praising him and falling at his feet and magnifying him? Sure you are. You say, if I, just, if I could just see Jesus, that, that I would. Every Sunday that you walk in this building, from the time that you pull on this campus, he's here. Because he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I promise you, I will be in your midst. I was sitting there a few minutes ago, and I said, Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave me penniless when I lost everything that I had, but that you restored it. I thank you, Lord, that I'm no longer walking through the Walmart parking lot looking for change so that I can take it to church and give some money because I didn't have money. I thank you that you restored my family and you did so much, you didn't let it go so far. And Lord, forgive me, as Tanya said, she said, the Lord spoke to me at that last sermon. Are you so blessed that you're no longer thankful? If we could just take time every day and remember where he brought you from. Remember, you didn't have children. God, if you just give me children. God, whatever you do, whatever you do. Remember how you answered that? I know some of you are saying, now, Lord, if you just take them away, take them quick, I'll be happy. How he said in the last service as he walked out, he showed me his notes. He said, here's what the Lord said to me. Every day is a miracle. And that miracle should produce gratitude. And that gratitude should produce a worshiping heart that worships the Lord. But maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Terry, when you were talking about sin, leprosy being like sin a few minutes ago, I really identified with that. Because in my life, I know that I'm not pleasing God. I've never invited Jesus into my heart and into my life. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this world knowing that we would have sin and there was no way we could please God. We could never get over the sin that's in our life because it's on the inside. It's a heart issue. So Jesus came, living with no sin, 
and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins so that I could say to him, Jesus, could you forgive me of my sins? Forgive me of my past. Give me a reason for living and a hope for the future. As in our Bible reading today that talked about the new heaven and the new earth. Maybe that's you today. Say, you know what? I really want to invite Jesus into my heart. I really want to get straight with this. Because I know if I continue going down this road, and I'm going to say to somebody right now, you're a believer, but you're dabbling with sin. You're dabbling with sin. You're trying to play both sides. And the Lord will say, what's on the inside is going to soon come out. And what you've never wanted to happen will happen. So you need to put the brakes on. You need to get that right with God today and renew your heart in the right way. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. First of all, maybe you've never invited Jesus into your heart and into your life. I want to pray with you today and believe with you. I want to pray with you and believe with you today that Jesus, forgive you of your sins, come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer with me today? Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins today and to come into my life. Change me. As best as I know how, I'll follow you all the days of my life. Well, church, let's pray with us. Celebrate today with those who prayed that prayer, shall we? It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.